Welcome back to the Future Will Not Be Podcast, an unscripted, unedited conversation about future shock, which is the idea that technology is accelerating so quickly that human, feeble human brains, our laws and our societies cannot keep up with it, and why that is a fundamentally new problem for our generation. It is hosted by three guys who have covered technology for about a decade. We are in age order. Hopefully I don't mess this up. (laughs) Matt Silverman. We also have Evan Engel. Correct. And Alex Fitzpatrick. Perhaps the most feeble-minded on the show. Yeah, I just want to point out, it's not my mind. My mind will be fine. <laughs> it's it's the rest of the minds I'm worried about, but my yes. mind will be, yeah. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. We know what's up. Yeah. Uh, we will we're, just we're, we're, add we're more RAM as necessary. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, the transhumanism show is a, another show. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> t- t- today's topic is one that I hold near and dear to my heart. I think one or both of you may also. Um, we're talking about gaming, video games, and, and I think you know that as a culture, that as a phenomenon, but also I would like to get into the, the, the concept of virtual worlds, um, which are obviously becoming increasingly rich and immersive. And what, it, what does it mean that we are spending so much more of our time in virtual places, um, be they games or otherwise? And I'm also fascinated by the concept of gaming culture being a very vibrant and fascinating community. And there are people outside of gaming culture who still turn their nose up at a very young and very engaging art form. Um, I read somewhere a while back, or maybe it was a podcast, someone someone remarked that um, video games as an art are only as old as we are. You know, I'm 36 Hmm. now and like it's the only art form on the planet Earth that I can think of that was born around the time we were born a little earlier, you know, late 70s, maybe mid 70s and has only and we have grown up with it. So we we grew up with Space Invaders and Mario and now we have, um, you know, Skyrim and VR and, and we have taken that journey alongside the the very medium of games itself and that is unique to our generation and it's only gonna get crazier yes and i will just say that i have spent the past several days on an incredible Fortnite bender so i feel (laughs) particularly able to have this conversation right now and glad to also be talking to other humans uh in a non-gaming context because uh too much has happened this weekend so, you have been you have been playing as well as reporting. Is that accurate? That's basically it. You know, I'm doing a story on Fortnite. Hopefully, I've, I'm doing the reporting on that now. Um, and I figured, you know what? Uh, as a gamer who is capable of playing this game, uh, and as a reporter, it is my duty to put a bunch of hours into this video game to figure out like what's the deal? Why is it so popular right now? Um, why is it blowing up? So on and so forth. So that's that's. And my wife was away for the past couple of days, so I really had just a full window of almost no social commitments whatsoever. As long as I sort of showered and fed myself, I was okay. Uh, Sounds so, good. Yeah, it was a good weekend. I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. So, question: I uh, I understand what Fortnite is. Like, I, I I study Fortnite and I read about Fortnite. I know why it's popular. I know why it's fun. It's not my kind of game, so I have not played it. Um, but I'm fascinated by the culture. So in a nutshell, tell us 
what Fortnite is and what your experience has been as sort of a new player to this like it's a crazy phenomenon it's the biggest game in the world right now yes and so uh, i will preface this by saying um i am a longtime shooter fan i've played shooters since the age of like duke nukem 3d right so i've grown up with the genre Mm -hmm. um so not totally new to the shooter uh, thing uh fortnite is what we call a battle royale game meaning there are there's a few different modes but the main mode is you know every man or woman or child or whatever for themselves you get dropped into this fairly large combat map um, and then every few minutes, there's this uh, sort. There's this mechanism by which there's a storm that sort of takes over part of the map and shrinks in a circular pattern, uh, and basically forces players to come into contact with one another. Um, so you can't just hide forever in some section of the map and hope you don't get killed. Um, you have to evade this storm so it forces people in, uh, which is really clever and fun, and uh, it's an interesting sort of um, take on things. Um, and my experience over the weekend has been that I like that element. I like the every man for himself element. It's also uh, one life to live, meaning once you get killed in a round, you're done. And then you're either spectating other mm. people in that game or you join a new game. Um, but it's it's kind of fun to watch, especially as a newbie. Um, it's fun to watch other people and like see what they do just to pick up on strategies and whatnot. Um, one thing that I had some frustration with is it actually seems to take a bit of a cue from Minecraft in that sort of as you're running around the world you the only thing you drop into the map with is a sort of an axe right um and as you pass trees you can go up to trees and chop them down for wood and then that wood gives you the ability to very quickly build walls and ramps and other simple structures uh, that you can build on top of each other so you can build like sniper towers and that kind of thing um and a frustrating thing for me was it seems like players are very good at building those things very quickly in battles and i'm not Um, and i'm just not used to shooters where you can modify the environment so quickly in sort of a positive fashion there are some games where if you're in a tank you can tear down a building or whatever and modify your environment in a negative fashion take something away but the idea of building something new is very different and hard to wrap your head around when you're not used to that in this sort of this kind of gaming context totally Um, it's one of those it's a feature that I think has, it's part of its popularity. It is, it is. that unique thing yeah, so for this, a shooter. Is this, as, as somebody who hasn't played Fortnite yet, uh, so so is this what makes it pop? Why is this the biggest game in the world right now? What, yeah, what it's a is combination it? of things. It's it's partially that. It's, it's a fairly, like those two things that I just described, these sort of circular, you know, forcing people into the same spot dynamic and also the building dynamic. Those are two re- relatively new things in the gaming world. Um, and honestly, shooters like, you know, the graphics keep getting better and they're like, there's new weapons and stuff, but like, there hasn't been that many changes to the core genre in a long time. So I think people who are already fans of the genre jump on new things pretty quickly and respond to that. Well, um, same reason that Titanfall is fairly popular, which combines shooting and like mech combat, big yeah. mech robot guys. Yep. Um, but it's also fairly, excuse me, the, uh, the, sh- the feel of the game is a little bit cartoony and a little bit arcadey and it's not a very realistic shooter so if you're not a veteran of like counter-strike or rainbow six or battlefield or call of duty uh you can pick this game up fairly quickly in terms of the sort of shooting dynamics uh and that kind of thing so it's not a complex game in that regard so it's it's very inviting to people who don't come from that first person shooter background One other point of context that uh, I think is fascinating to me and I think it's important is that um, the Battle Royale uh, format, to my knowledge, was sort of not invented but made popular by PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, otherwise known as PUBG. That was the king of games 
for a hot second and still extremely popular. Um, I was primarily PC, then it was came to console, and I think it was you know thirty bucks, you know standard price for uh, for a game. It was still you know it was being developed, whatever. Um, and then Fortnite basically copied it. They just completely jacked the format, made it more cartoony, added the building elements, and key uh, key factor: Fortnite is free, which means mm-hmm. if you're a poor twelve year old with an Xbox. And even if you have just an iPhone or an iTouch, you can play Fortnite. And Hmm. that is what made Fortnite the king of games right yeah now. that's driving a lot of it also PUBG. Um, i don't know how much it was a direct ripoff certainly inspired by um you know if PUBG doesn't have that building minecrafty aspect um and it's also a little bit it feels like it's a bit in beta still like the game crashes fairly often and has weird tweaks which are kind of fun sometimes but also frustrating <laughs> um but uh yeah i mean it's a really good point you know if, Fortnite's doing the sort of freemium model that's very popular in mobile gaming uh, where you get the core game for free and then they charge for like customizations and skins and whatnot and kids love that stuff so they're buying a bunch of it. Um, I think 1.5 or even $2 billion is the estimate that Fortnite's made just on the downloadables and they're they're not like in-game power-ups, they're just customizations uh, hmm. which is key to like making people feel good about it I guess. Um and yeah, I mean the the the, the freemium aspect is is definitely driving some popularity there, no question. So all right, so then here's a question I have. <laughs> so it's the biggest game in the world. It's uh, it, I'm assuming, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but that this is the the audience for this game is more than just the sort of twelve year olds, you know, hanging out in their basement sort of thing. And yet, uh, we hear we hear these two parallel things. We hear that gaming is not who you think it is anymore. Gaming, gaming. There are senior citizen gamers, and 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 women have embraced gaming, and and we hear all these things. And yet, uh, largely, I still think when we when we talk about gaming, and, and when we like like I feel like every article says gaming isn't just for twelve year olds anymore, and it's said that for like a decade now, right? <laughs> yeah. So what is what is, is 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 there a reality that we haven't had acknowledged, or or is our framing off? Like like what is the segment of society that is gaming and to what degree is our are our popular ideas about it accurate yeah i mean i think it's it's gone mainstream and, and part of that is like what matt said earlier like we are 30 to 36 or so and have grown up with it um and so we were those 12 year olds in our parents basements or whatever at some point yeah. but we stuck with it because it's a medium that we enjoy interacting with and now we're 30 year olds or 35 year olds who play games um so there's that um, and also the fact is that, you know, uh, mobile gaming too is huge with across genres. Like, you know, I, there are people who are senior citizens who love to play like Bejeweled or whatever on their phone, right? That's probably a dated reference, but Candy Crush, I guess, is the <laughs> is the one to refer to these days. Um, so I think it's, it's more mainstream if you look at it with that kind of lens. Um, I don't know how many, you know, 70-year-olds are out there playing PUBG or Fortnite, but I'm sure there are some. Yeah, and this, you know, that lens, you know, if you're just saying games, then I suppose that that the broadness of that lens is technically accurate, but I take issue with that as a gamer because not all games are created equal. Um, games are, they're just, the, the, the difference in um, gameplay and complexity and depth between a Bejeweled and say a dwarf fortress. Uh, they are both video games, but they are not. 
it, it would be the same as saying, you know, I read I read um, dime store romance paperback novels, and I read, and then you read Tolstoy. We both love literature. Like those are not the same caliber of art or sophistication, and you wouldn't you wouldn't put those people in the same category. You might say they they both read books, but you wouldn't class in no other world would you classify those two people in the same circles of demographics. Let's say so. You know, similarly, like I said, I get why why Fortnite is popular. It looks really fun. It's not a game for me. I like games with epic storylines, rich character development, and I also really like open world games. I love the Minecrafts and Skyrims, and I'm very excited about No Man's Sky, which is, as of this recording, there's a major update coming to No Man's Sky tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, And I have been following that game for about two years of development, and it's a very rich universe to explore. With a pretty a pretty dull story, but it's really fun to find uh, alien dinosaurs on a planet in a galaxy of eighteen quintillion planets. It's just a cool concept that I enjoy thinking about. You know? Yeah, I really liked No Man's Sky for a couple of weeks when it came out, but then I just found it such a lonely place that I, I legitimately felt emotionally drained after spending <laughs> a few hours. Really, because there was just nobody else around, and it was like, man, this is just. This is this is bad. Yep, just didn't feel good. Yep they they it, should introduce a, a Fortnite feature where the universe just shrinks progressively and you all end up <laughs> on the same planet. You know, I mean, so it, interesting that you say that. One of the oh, solutions God. to uh, the loneliness problem, I guess you call it, which it was a criticism a lot of people had, and it, it was never. I, I should take that back. It was discussed and marketed as potentially a multiplayer game not like an mmo where you would meet other players but this idea that like if you happen to be in the same system with another player you could meet them but the odds of that were so set were so in you know so tiny and of course it's the internet so on day one of release two players found themselves they were like on the internet on reddit being like are you in this place i'm in this place oh my god we're on the same planet and they game came together and they couldn't see each other. And that's when everyone was like, this game sucks. You know, mm, you lied yeah. to us. Um, but anyway, to, to, to address those concerns, because people really thought multiplayer would be cool. Um, it's not exactly the shrinking map, but it's what we're learning is that um, you can jump into the game, you can play solo, and it's sort of like these four-player par- four co-op uh, groups where if we were all online, I could say, okay, I want to join Alex's game. And I would instantly be like warped to the planet that Alex is starting on so that we could Mm. start together and play and build things together and explore together. And if I wanted to, I could jet off in my spacecraft and go halfway across the galaxy, but we'd still be playing in the same instance of the game. It's cool because you can jump in with your friends. I'm a little disappointed about it because I, I like the idea of like, I'm just lone, traveling through the lonely galaxy and I'm making my way towards a place where I know a lot of players are. And all of a sudden, wow, I'm in this star system where people have built like cities and colonies yeah. and yeah. all they're there. And I organically come across them. I don't want to teleport instantly into someone else's game because that that is an artificial version of this like epic world that they've created. And so yeah. I'm a little bummed about the way multiplayer has been is 
probably going to be implemented, but we'll, we'll see. I trust them. I, I, I have faith that they're, they know the kind of game that they're making and then they're, they're trying to appease as many fans as possible. And, and gosh, damn, it looks so, so beautiful. Uh, it is a gorgeous game. So far. Yeah. Uh, let me go back to the point you were making uh, earlier though, which is this idea of like basically games as literature. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it's a really interesting concept and it's something that uh, a, a, a writer who since left um, Matt Peckham um you know, talked about a lot. He came from a literature background and is a, you know, avid video gamer, obviously. Um, and he really turned me on to this idea of, you know, it's been happening for a long time, but really over the past five to 10 years in particular, games have developed much more seriously as a medium. And you see it a little bit in the major titles, but there's a whole world of indie games that are yes. really exploring that sort of interactive medium and in a very fine art kind of way. Um, that's pretty fascinating to see uh, from the same genre that brought us like Donkey Kong Country 2 or whatever, totally. right? O- almost to the point where it's hard it's hard to call those a genre. It's more like, a, I guess it's a medium where, yes, Donkey Kong and uh, Dwarf Fortress are both games, but one, you jump from a platform to a platform and try to get a banana, and the other one simulates 10,000 years of history and the inner lives of, indiv- of thousands of characters. Like, that's fundamentally different um art i guess yeah i mean i I, yeah they're definitely connected by some threads but um and you don't get one without the other necessarily Mm. um but definitely different experiences tremendously so so then let's talk about if if we may there's there was a game that had i guess you would call it cross genre appeal or or at least it had mass social appeal and unlike most games uh, we were able to see visually who was using it, and we were able to see this sort of cross cross section of society. Pokemon was, Go, Pokemon Go, yes, <laughs> thank so, you. So, is the difference with Pokemon Go that we were just able to see who was playing it, and we were able to see it was all of our neighbors, and it was everyone on the train, or is the difference that Pokemon Go, for whatever reason, really captured this broad swath of society and did it in a way where we had to see who was using it? And and was that because it was not your traditional video game, but this augmented reality thing? I mean, I think it was a whole combination of things, and I think you summed up a little bit of it. Um, it was definitely some elements of nostalgia. Like, we had a lot of people our age. Like, I think when I say our age, really, Matt, you probably, did you play Pokemon? Pokemon is an interesting, um, uh, it's not a barrier, uh, an interesting um, inflection point because yeah. I love Japanese RPGs. I love Final Fantasies. I love all of the games around there. But Pokemon was like for younger kids. Like when I, when Pokemon came out, I felt too old for it, and I was playing other things. Therefore, Pokemon holds no nostalgia for me. Even though I totally get why people love Pokemon, and if I was a kid at the time, I would love Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I really yeah. fell into the Pokemon thing pretty hard. I don't know about you, Evan, <laughs> but that was that really got me. Um, you know, I'm turns out I have obsessive compulsive disorder, and so something like Pokemon <laughs> is really geared towards towards getting my attention and holding it very well. Uh, I would discover later in life, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's a thing, and it's you know, so uh, Pokemon Go definitely tapped into that nostalgia of just the Pokemon world, um, but I think also it showed that people are hungry for something that's just different from something that they sit on their couch and stare at a screen and sure they're staring at a screen in um you know in the real world and sometimes to 
deteriorate uh, to bad effect, right? Like there was all those stories about like people getting hit by cars or whatever because they're paying yeah. attention to their phone, <laughs> right? Which was you know bad, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a pretty fascinating thing to see. That was, that was, I guess, what two years ago now or one year I ago? Think so. Yeah, and and so the real question is like they're still going strong. They're updating and supporting the app, and I, I'm sure there are still millions of players playing it. But I have a feeling most of the world the world has moved on from Pokemon Go. I don't want to speak out of turn, but Yeah, like... I was waiting to see what would happen this summer because when they originally launched, it was brilliant timing if this was planned because it happened just before summer hit. And so you had all these kids right. out of school wow. looking for something to do. Uh, and that's a great time to drop something like that. So I was curious if it would get picked back up this summer. And it seems like it hasn't as much. I think you're right. There's like a de- there was a definite spike right after launch and it has sort of stabilized at a much lower rate since then and there's um, a curve there's a curve for all games and gameplay thing you know fads yeah, come and yeah. go and that's fine but i guess it's like you know nobody stopped sitting in front of screens to play other video games but lots of people have stopped playing pokemon go it's probably an unfair comparison because like people move on from every game but i guess you know i guess i'm trying to get at like pokemon go is is ingenious but is that um, sort of AR uh, gaming, is it gimmicky or is it here to stay? And I, you know, I only, whenever I think about AR augmented reality, I only have two killer apps to reference. One is Pokemon Go because it, it, it just yeah. blew up, as we said. And the other is Snapchat. Like Snapchat it has the best augmented reality filters and lenses that I've ever seen because they're so effortless to use and they're very impressive. Outside of that, you, everything else to me feels very um, niche and technical and, you know, HoloLens and Minecraft and Microsoft. I mean, they're amazing technologies, but they're not consumer ready yet. And uh, we're getting uh, there, but I'm um, much more there's no killer apps. Oh, Evan, go ahead. I, 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 well, I would just throw one more on that list and that's Google Translate. Yeah, you yeah, know totally. the ability to, to uh, point your camera at text and see it see it rendered live in your own language is is insane. What I want Absolutely. is the app that lets me point my camera at people and have it say "idiot" or "not idiot." <laughs> that would be really handy to me. <laughs> Facebook almost has enough data to make that happen. We're getting closer. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, no, I'm actually much more bullish on AR augmented reality than I am VR. Okay, um, and that's yeah. mostly because AR does not require you to sort of leave your real world environment to use effectively and i think that's a big stepping stone for a lot of people um i think vr games will be big but i don't like you said you don't see a lot of applications for ar outside of those i don't see a lot of applications for vr outside gaming and maybe like social chat like there was um oh god i can't remember the name of this uh, app, vr like, chat right I think was vr chat what, was one of them there's it? another one that i'm thinking of specifically but like this idea of like sort of a chat room but in vr right and so, that was pretty cool second life yeah uh, no, but similar, like not an yeah. RPG, but like kind of that same premise. Well, I'm waiting for, I, I tend to agree with you though. I am eager to see like third and fourth generation VR, like VR will not be mainstream until I can put on a pair of Warby Parker glasses yeah. and be in VR yeah. and it will happen, but it's going to take a little bit longer to get there. And then what was frustrating with me, me about VR was that VR is amazing and the fact also that I can pop my phone into a Samsung Gear or a Google Daydream and be in really good VR is also amazing because you just need your phone and, and, and a cardboard headset. Like, that is amazing. What was not amazing was that there were no killer apps. There was no, like, content 
worth experiencing in VR. The only thing I can think of, and I have not done it, uh, I have not played it, but Skyrim in VR to me is a watershed moment for VR because it's a game that people care deeply about. The entire world has played Skyrim. I mean, at least the, the, the gaming RPG world is like, love Skyrim. They buy it every single time they re-release it. And then it came out for, for VR. And if you had a PlayStation and, and the headset, you're that now inside Skyrim. And that's like, that's a, that's a moment. And we need more of those games to happen before yeah, VR have- will be a thing. I know we're talking about gaming, but I also kind of think that non-interactive experiences in that are made for VR uh, will be sort of a, a killer app for that. Sort of a, if we get to like a Pixar level, uh, like case in point, um, there was a, an experience that I did when the Oculus first came out, or maybe it was the Vive, like in that sort of era, right? Um, where you basically you're a deep sea diver and you're exploring the shipwreck, and all of a sudden this big blue whale comes by, and it's just this the sense of scale you get from interacting with this whale just shook me to my core in a way that I would never expect from any kind of digital experience. Like I was sitting there knowing this is, um, this is software. Like I'm, I'm in a computer experience, uh, but this still feels so powerful because I'm next to this gigantic animal who's curious about me. Just the way that they like animated him and gave that creature life was so impressive on the sort of Pixar level. Right. Um, And I think that will be big, um, but like we're sort of stuck in this period. It's this sort of it's the it's the launch problem of any new technology, right? Where like it's the question of you need enough users to convince developers to make stuff, but then you need enough developers to make the stuff to convince users to use. So like, how do you start that those wheels moving? Um, and I think they are to some degree, but eh. I agree. And you cannot convey what VR is to another human being in any way, language, YouTube video, picture, you cannot convey it unless you hand them a headset and say, put this on, you got to try this. And and that's very hard to do. It's almost Uh, like the uh, the Morpheus rule. Right, right. <laughs> or like you know how they you'll see you'll be watching tv and you'll see commercials for other tvs like the mm-hmm. sharpest picture ever like it doesn't work it, i'm still looking at this tv on my tv yeah. this, this doesn't this doesn't translate what are you doing so well, that's like 4k like are you are you playing that game in 4k well it doesn't matter because my monitor is not 4k so it doesn't <laughs> right. matter what I, what that is like yeah yeah, yeah. um i am n- I, I hesitate to say that I'm not interested in those sort of um, uh, passive, I forget what you said, non-interactive yeah. VR experiences. Yeah. Because I, I, I appreciate that like, oh my God, I'm looking up at this whale and I can look all around. But like you could not move around in the space. You could not make decisions in that environment. You're just looking at something and it's experiential. And, and I, I know what you're saying when you say that it was a powerful experience. Yeah. But- I am willing to skip that and wait five years until um, the game version of that comes out. And then when I see that whale, I want to swim up and ride on it. Yeah, that's, you want, that's you want what Echo I the want. Dolphin VR, basically, right? Heck yeah. Yeah, that does sound fun. Actually, it was a whale rider adaptation. They're adapting the <laughs> critically acclaimed 2003 film into a VR game. And then we'll eventually get Waterworld VR, which will be oh, just God. wonderful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, shout out to, since we're talking about games, uh, Subnautica 
is Ooh, I've heard. Holy gosh. Is and it you that talk I feel like maybe I heard from you that this is the game to perhaps, play. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Um wow. It, it's the perfect marriage of this open world with a killer sci-fi story and it does have VR support. I have not tried it in VR. I don't actually own a VR headset. I I've mingled with um phone bridging where you kind of use your phone to to you to play like games on steam and uh it sort of maybe works but not great but people talk about um subnautica in vr the way you just described the blue whale uh yeah. movie experience but in subnautica it's a game about being stranded on an alien planet that is completely water world so you are swimming around and you need to make sure your oxygen is 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 up to date because you will drown in a cave in Subnautica and doing that in VR is terrifying. Yeah, you know, kind terrifying. of a problem for me in VR so far has been motion sickness. Um, yeah. and I'm I'm not usually prone to to that kind of thing. Like I'm a pilot, I don't really have <laughs> problems with that. Um, but man, in some experiences like 15 minutes in, I'm like I don't feel good and that's like and that I feel like is a pretty common problem and kind of is a bummer for people. I think it's a technical issue. It's about resolution and, and frame rates and things. And, and we just yeah. need yeah. beefier computers to solve that. I, I think that will eventually get there. Yeah. Like I forgot the name of it. I got to remember some names, but there's this sort of VR game where you're an astronaut. It's almost like Gravity, the Sandra Bullock movie where you're on the ISS or whatever. And like a meteor strike hits or something goes wrong and suddenly you have to like put on your spacesuit or flying around the station to save yourself um and it's really cool and gripping and intense but because you're sort of able to move in these three axes boy is it a vomit comet <laughs> just really bad well all right let's fast forward and and i mean we could talk about the challenges of of vr and technology forever and and we're living in a we're living in a um a transitory uh, transitory we're, we're living in an intermediary place where it's not quite killer apps and and experiences but we're we can we can taste it we can touch it let's go ahead five ten years let's let's make assumptions that vr and ar will be seamless effortless experiences so the way that you you whip out your phone and you fire up Facebook is like half a second and you're you or you are then immersed in your newsfeed and you're consuming content instantly online at the post office. Let's presume that AR and VR will be that effortless in, in ten years. Um now we're talking future shock. Now we're talking about virtual worlds and experiences and like sort of multiplayer interactive um spaces that I don't want to leave because they're way cooler than my real life. Yeah, what, and what's the problem? Little... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's, that kind of end up there. I kind of say, what's the problem? And obviously, if you're sitting on your couch for, for, for five months in a virtual world, like there's health concerns and all this, but like, and addiction and all these things. But like, if, if, if everyone is virtual, ready player one style. Yeah. Um, and the world is better in the virtual place than your boring, sad, depressing life. Because let's face it, not everyone has an exciting job. Not everyone has a great relationship or marriage. Like the world is going to be better in the virtual space. Is it so bad that we want to spend all our time there? So I'm going to say yes. And and here's why. Uh, 
at, at the heart of it, it's it's if you can convince somebody that the place they are right now doesn't matter, right? If you can convince someone that that their physical location is just as good as anywhere else on Earth, uh, that's that's that is lethal to the ideas of, of community or, or at the very least at the idea of, of states and government that, that we've yeah. created. And, and certainly there, there's no shortage of people who want to undo those ideas and, and that's fine. Uh, but, but even just, just point out just what, what you were just on that, that listen, some people have jobs and some people have, have rough lives. No, no doubt about it. Uh, the only reason that, that I don't is because my some of my ancestors were like well this sucks i gotta do something about it right like like if if that if if that incentive is gone if the idea of of bettering your your the the world around you is gone uh then then it's i i don't know i I don't want to get into this cartoonish place where you're just sitting in a headset as as the seas rise around you (laughs) um but uh but honestly every other cartoon we had about the future seems to have come true so (laughs) but but that's that's just my take fitz what do you where do you stand on it yeah i think i i gotta agree with you for some reasons um number one (laughs) being sort of um classist i guess um it it strikes me as like looking at the sort of you know prices of what vr and ar are right now that you know not everybody would likely be able to afford to experience this world and i could see it i've, I've watched enough dystopian sci-fi to see this becoming a, a class issue of like the have and the have nots when it comes to like access to this virtual world yeah yes 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 uh major valid concerns but let let me before you continue i want to yeah. throw this out there i have a smartphone and a yeah. and a, a, a farmer in africa also has a smartphone and can see all the internet stuff i can see so I would make the argument that one day everyone will have everything and and the cost won't matter. Maybe that's naive. I I, I actually, Matt, I'm with you on that one. I think as soon as they figure out how to sell things through VR, I think the Googles and Facebooks of the world will subsidize it to the point where where it's readily accessible. Fair enough. Uh, my other point being environmental, actually, in the sense that, like, look, we we as a people and as a planet are facing some real serious issues uh in terms of just pure survivability in the medium to not so medium future um and if we are just sort of completely unplugged from planet earth basically uh we're not going to be able to the the sort of challenges of climate change and uh, you know related issues won't feel as important to us even though they still very much are because you know frankly our human bodies need a place to be and clean air to breathe and clean water to drink and so on right um, so, but I think if we're so disconnected from what the state of the real world is, uh, then that's problematic for that reason. And, you know, frankly, for politics in general, like that has some pretty frightening implications in terms of like, are we caring about who's governing the real world or the virtual world? Or how does that interplay work? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All valid concerns in the very near, t- in, in, in one generation uh you know in this intermediary phase where there is still a real quote unquote real world and there is a virtual world but i tend to think about this notion of like um if all of our if all human interaction takes place in the in the virtual world or let's say 90% of human interaction takes place in the in the virtual world then wouldn't our politics 
and governance also take place there and take it a couple generations further and this is super sci-fi silliness but like there will be a point where we don't need our bodies and we don't need an earth i mean we don't really need a a beautiful earth to live on we can just be minds in a virtual place and that's the future who's to say we're not even we're not already there you know if you want to get super meta silly about it (laughs) sure yeah yeah uh, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating stuff to think about, for sure. Um, and in, in some ways, like, we're already taking steps towards that sort of thing. Um, just looking at, like, VR gaming cafes and whatnot. Like, it's just a weird thing to experience. Like, there's that famous photo of Mark Zuckerberg at, I think, a Samsung event. Yeah. <laughs> where, like, they had just handed out, like, the free Samsung Gear VR. So everybody's in the VR thing. And he's just sneaking up, like, the that little kid in that famous BBC clip. And it's it's just a really funny... Like, at first, it's really funny, but then it's like, oh, oh no. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> well, well, this is this is really the, the immediate worry for me is not so much, like, will the human race figure it out or whatever like i will we'll figure it out it's more like whoever makes the stuff controls the stuff and so if marks if 90 percent of of everyone is in the vr headsets but but 10 percent are super rich trillionaires who give us the headsets that's the that's really the problem uh the way that, i see it that's one of them i mean yeah. you're you're right that that so okay, so, uh, there might come a day when when humans, you know, throw off this fleshy coil and and become just beams of radiation, you know, floating through the universe. Sure, sure, it could happen, but in the meantime, right, we still are, we still suffer from the physical constraints of of living on this planet, and it's weird because uh, all the all the media we've concocted are are these incredible extensions of man, but even even the most plugged in of us probably at the end of the day are still more human than we are virtual and mm. and full virtual reality immersion could be the first technology that flips that balance where yeah. where you actually spend more of your existence we we spend so much of our existence already in, in mediated forms no doubt but but to to place your entire sensory life inside one of those it, it, vr could be the first machine that makes us more machine than man sensory life is an excellent term and i've never heard it so maybe you just maybe you just coined it maybe maybe <laughs> because uh, the point you make uh i find i am struggling with and i can't be the only one where uh i work on the internet all day and then i go back i go i stop my job and i go to my regular life but i'm still on my phone yeah. because there are boring yeah. parts of my life where uh, I don't want to experience them. So my mental life is still occupied in the digital or virtual space. And then when I'm off my phone and I'm in real life, quote unquote, I'm probably thinking about a video game that I want to play. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, like my mental, my sensory life is not fully immersed in the digital world, but my inner mind is immersed in the digital world probably way too much and so in that regard i feel like we are closer to this than we want to admit hmm yeah yeah i'm not saying it's a good thing i'm i'm struggle. i te- i have been struggling with uh disconnecting and it's, it's a struggle that we all face people talk about it all the time 
Um, but I guess my point is like when we have one foot in, in the um, real sensory world and the other foot and the mental uh, place in the digital world, that's hard and it's a struggle. But if we just lift up the foot and put them both in the digital world all the time, life might get better. It, it, it might, but there's still this question of, well, what do we do with our fleshy bodies? Right. Right. right? Like, do we do we just put them in like a matrix farm sort of like right. where, right. where do they, they become live? BTU generators <laughs> for the robot overlords, basically. That's, that's sort of like you can see Zuckerberg like doing the math right now. <laughs> be like, actually, how many, yeah. How many like, do I need? Yeah. Like people would love Facebook a lot more if we fed them and clothed them and like put the like and just get, put them in some virtual world for the rest of their lives. Like right. this is how right. this is how the matrix started. I mean, I mean he it, bought Oculus, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's one step away from the Matrix because it's not like I'm not entombed in some sort of like um, digital sarcophagus. But think about it this way. Um, we're going to tackle automation in another show. That's a big, big topic that yeah. I'm excited about. But like, let's say I rent a small apartment in a major metropolitan city and I have lots of technologies and robots that sort of serve me feed me clean me i'm not saying i just lay down all day in the virtual world but like i pop off the headset headset and i i get i eat my soylent and i take a quick like robot shower and then i'm back in i'm back in the world that i like to be in i mean that's not that's not super crazy and it seems very scary and sad when you think about it but like in the mind of the of the player for lack of a better word the the experiencer it's probably awesome, you know? I don't know. I got to know more about this robot shower. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Like? Uh, it's more it's like 2020. I think it's a few years out. <laughs> I, I get the point because because you're at the end of the day all all human experience is is virtual in a way. It is all mediated in a way, right? Like it is it is all going through our minds. So if if your mind is is experiencing the the quote-unquote real world or one that is made then then what is the difference and and Mm -hmm. there's there's some truth to that but but at all i mean you know somebody if 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 that is the case if if we get the robot butlers who clean and shower and shave and feed and and we can just live in that virtual world there's still somebody who can pull that plug there is Mm -hmm. still you we you are still living at, at somebody's mercy in a way that Certainly, that we're 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 in danger of people pulling the plug right now. That's that's not lost on me either. But but there just seems to be something that that there there it is almost an element of willingly engaging in slavery. Yeah, I also right? just think that like the human body and brain, especially, are so responsive to quote unquote real experiences. And who knows? Maybe VR will get good enough to the point to simulate even that. But like spending a week in the woods camping. Uh, you know, is sort of my escape of choice, right? And there's something that just feels so good about, you know, waking up when the sun rises and going to bed when it falls and the smell of the, you know, trees and moving around and hiking and stuff. And, like, it's probably some combination of endorphins and nostalgia for times I've done that in the past and uh, just fresh air and, like, the, the benefit that that has. But, like, there are real tangible mental and physical benefits to that. And I feel like if we... Um, try to replicate that digitally. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that it's possible to do that. At least I not think 
Yet. You're thinking about it in the form of goggles on your face and yeah. you can't represent that. You can't get the pine smell from the goggles on your face. But if you've got a microchip in your brain, I can stimulate that neuron and then you, you will you will smell it. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, this this is something interesting. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, there was an article about uh, Sam Altman, I believe, of Y Combinator. Sure. And uh, and deep in the profile of Sam Altman, they they buried they buried this. But you know, there's there is this subset of people who already believe that we are living in a virtual world, right? They believe right. that that our reality is a simulation. And they in this article, they mentioned that there is a wealthy guy in Silicon Valley who it's all but hinted is Elon Musk, uh, who is because we know that he is he is a guy who is interested in this theory. And and they say that this wealthy Silicon Valley benefactor is funding scientists to try to find a way to break out oh of, of that simulation, if, believing that, that this world is a simulation. This so is not the headline of the story? This was not, like a throwaway it, graph? It's not. This was, this was just like just buried in like graph 30. Uh, but but it's it's like there there is something almost uh, – I, I don't know if it's innately human, but there there is something about – wanting to understand that the base layer of reality that that i think for so many people this idea of 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 willingly constructing a virtual world and 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 living in there full time is, is just going to feel like burrowing deeper into one that mm-hmm. that right mm-hmm. as opposed yeah. to i mean i kind of feel like to that point i feel like one of the core struggles of human existence not to get super existential on this particular podcast do, but do it one of, do one it, of the man. core struggles is like we are just smart enough as a species to know what we don't know Correct. If that makes any sense, and it like makes perfect sense, we are because like the fact that we can sort of talk about that idea of of the life being a simulation and all that, but we're totally unable to prove anything close to that being true is sort of a, a difficulty for some people. It's frustrating. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of meta the the ability yeah. to talk about yourself is is just a meta thing that most species don't have, right? And that that becomes uh, psychologically challenging. Totally, but, but to to give a point in Matt's camp, I will say this: that that every every time we think a technology is too much, every every time in history we've proclaimed, well, this is this is not going to people, this will never take. Uh, it, it always takes, right? Like the the internet was was not going to be a thing, and people would never spend all day in front of a computer, uh, and until they did. And you know, smartphones were were going to be the death of society, and maybe they were, but they they still took over. Well, so, I mean, the whole like the, the world of tech tech predictions is like littered with stuff that didn't come true as well, right? Well, sure, sure, no doubt, but but it's not the it it's not the things that uh, that we worried about for their their harmful. No technology ever ever prevented because it was people mass decided, oh, this is too harmful and this is too much, yeah. right? Like the ones that didn't take didn't take just because they like weren't convenient or because Sony bought it up and killed it. So, like, <laughs> or, or GM, sure, yeah, 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 right, yeah. Right, right. like we yeah. will totally have flying cars, but flying cars never happened. But um, TV happened, and everyone was upset about kids staring at TVs, right? But yeah, exactly. We still have TVs, exactly. Right? So, so all of my pearl clutching over over burrowing deeper <laughs> into a virtual world uh, will will probably be for naught. The criticisms will still be valid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I do think to some degree, like what is, there's no real technology. I think uh, uh, there's, there's some kind of psychological barrier for most people um, that prevents them from 
we hinted at the idea of like microchipping and, and sort of body modification, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's some barrier that for most people that's like, nope, that's that's where I draw the line yeah. as a human being. And I think that's going to be a major hurdle. Um, and I think, you know, maybe we get to a point where doing so gives people such advantages that to not do so will leave them severely under yes and like that's the driving factor but like i don't know i often say that um it will be the differentiator between our generation and our kids like the way our parents bristle at uh social media and smartphones and uh gaming our kids will say daddy i want to get the microchip put in my brain yeah and we will say "Oh, oh no i don't think so but um they will not be able to function in the workplace and be competitive in the workforce yeah. unless they have the microchip because everyone else will have it and they will be superhuman uh, cyborgs. And and our kids will not because we're, you know, old and sad. Fun and fact. Scared. <laughs> Fun fact. Even in that day, the job will still be moving things from one spreadsheet to another for some reason. <laughs> right. No, that is that is... Now, here's the you core question. Here. When you go for the microchip, do you go Intel or do you go AMD? What's the move there? <laughs> I like to get the Intel processor, but then the GPU, I do um, I do AMD. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm yeah. old-fashioned. I'm just embedding a whole uh, Nintendo cartridge under my... <laughs> under Evan, my what are you doing with that Atari yeah. 2600? <laughs> that one Can't hack this <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Uh, there was a there's a the thought experiment um, about simu- about whether our world is a simulation. It's like it could go either way, but statistically, it is more likely that we are living in someone yeah. else's si- simulation because if any if any species or alien or consciousness has anywhere in the universe or or multiverse has created one simulation, then they've created infinite simulations and we are probably just one of infinite simulations most likely hopefully i'm parsing that that no um, no that's that makes equation correctly that's it i don't know i feel real (laughs) that's what they want you to think (laughs) yeah i mean the the, that's that's a whole nother that is a whole can of worms but uh think about how cool it is that an intelligent an intelligence in the universe created a simulation and then within that simulation an intelligence grew and created the sims yeah turtles all the way down yeah (laughs) hopefully nobody stuffs me in a wooden cabin with a bunch of kindling and lights me on fire like i used to do to my sims which might reveal some traits about myself that shouldn't be public <laughs> okay so here's okay okay so here here's a real question then going back to video gaming uh if if notions of of our own world being virtual spread if if this comes to be sort of a, a new kind of religion uh will this change the way that we treat video game characters will will we start to to oh. view mm-hmm. view putting your sim in a in a cabin and stuffing it with wood and lighting it on fire as an ethical problem <laughs> or or and this is this is twin probably to to questions of artificial intelligence but it's yes. it, it does relate to video games as well yeah yeah if the sim is complex enough to exhibit some form of consciousness or true emotion or free will yeah I, I don't know if the sim passes the turing test 
are we allowed to kill it? I, I don't know, man. Do we do we already see some of that when when you see uh, uh, non playable characters in in games that try to dodge your fireballs? Like, is that already showing uh, some sort of will to survive? <laughs> right? Like, I I don't have uh. an answer there. Heavy man. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Fitz, yeah, yeah, sleep well tonight, man. Think about all this. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for that. God, the number of NPCs I've killed in my day. Yeah, I have a lot to answer for at the Hague. <laughs> <laughs> Those, the, it, uh, it's a complicated question. Those NPCs are just—they are programmed to avoid fireballs, and they don't feel pain. But, like, I come back to concepts like Dwarf Fortress, which are you guys familiar with it? A little. No, not at all. Okay. Dwarf Fortress is an independent game that's been developed, like, it's maybe for a decade, 12 years or something. It's totally free, made by one guy. And it's this notion, it's it's all, um, it, it's ugly because it's all ASCII characters. There's no actual graphics. So... You know, a little at symbol is is a is a dwarf, and you know, an H symbol is a dragon or something. It's very um, it's very rudimentary. But the actual simulation behind it is probably the deepest in all of gaming, where it's you, you generate a world and you're simulating like thousands of years of history, and every single symbol is a is a character. Maybe it's a goblin, maybe it's a dwarf, but it's not just like this dwarf. Is a blacksmith and he lives or dies. It's like this dwarf is 60 years old and here's all the things that happened to him and his family and, and his life. And he has a, a scar on his left knee and he fought a dragon once, but now he's now he's retired and, and whatever. And so it's this very, very sophisticated simulation of thousands of characters. And your goal is to like try to build a fortress and survive and ward off all the creatures that are trying to find their way in. But like when you've been playing the game and for 60 years in the game, your blacksmith uh, has been making tools for your colony. And all of a sudden, he gets killed by a, a goblin. It's sad because he, has an, he had an inner life, a simulated inner life that you as the player have come to rely upon and you are deeply intimate with. And so the sadness is just your own sadness because it's not the same as like, oh man, my, my army guy died, so now I'm down like... 10 firepower it's like this this character was alive and now he's dead and that has ramifications for the game as for gameplay but on an emotional level it is it that is some deep stuff and so you know does that simulation experience pain like like other characters in the in the game experience grief when when the blacksmith dies because they were his family or his friends and so Again, like I don't, I don't think there's ethical decisions to be made around that. But man, it affects you when you play in a way that, like, killing your buddy in Fortnite doesn't have an emotional effect, aside from like high fiving. You know, it's different. High fiving is the loss. purest form of emotion that I know. <laughs> Do you? Can I? Can I ask? I mean, I mean, this really does sound like an emotional experience. I don't mean to take away from that, but I have to ask, like. Do you have to watch this game in like Matrix code? Is it just like <laughs> Yeah, you kind of right? do. Uh, I will preface this by saying that this is my like dream game to learn. I have never had the fortitude and or time to 
buckle down and learn the game. A, a simplified version of this concept is a game called RimWorld, which I deeply love, and it's 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 like this game but in space. Mm-hmm. And and you have colonists and and they have inner lives and and their action and their personalities and their actions like if you put a kleptomaniac with a pyromaniac and and one guy who can grow vegetables like you might survive or they might kill each other because they're insane like it's it's very rich in that way um, and so I, I understand why these games are deeply affecting but Dwarf Fortress is like it, it it is like looking at the Matrix it truly is and and it takes a lot of effort to. Um, to, I'm pl- glad, to learn and play. I'm glad that something like that exists in the universe, uh, totally. whether it's it yeah. real or a simulation. Like that's just kind of a nice. It, 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 it makes me happy that people are doing that kind of thing in the context of gaming. Yes, it's very exciting. I agree. It's nice I, that like we've got Call of Duty, which I love, but also this weird stuff that like is just kind of clever and unique and different. That's fun. No, that's the internet I love. It's like again, it's one guy been making it for 10 years he just gives it away for free people send him donations probably like on whatever patreon or paypal or whatever that's the internet i want you know yeah yeah, yeah. and we're feels like that's kind of slipping away doesn't it <laughs> that, that's the internet that where just one guy has to do all the goddamn work <laughs> and, and, god bless steve and every week i send him bug reports and i'm like why haven't you fixed this dude <laughs> I put in the ticket like three weeks ago, Steve. And I never donate. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how it works. And it works. Wiki Stevia. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing at that. Yeah, that's not good. (laughs) Any closing thoughts about uh, video games and virtual spaces where are we headed where where, where are we where, where have we come from if anybody as, wants to teach me how to be good at fortnite i'd really appreciate it <laughs> as always i feel like we just scratched the surface yep indeed yeah yeah i mean i do think that we're at this place where um you know games have become it's nice to see where games have gotten to as an art form like we certainly have the uh, Call of Duties and the Battlefields of the World, which are fun, but fun in the like blockbuster summer movie Avengers sense, right? Like it's not high art necessarily, um, but we've also got games that are exploring, uh, you know, there are games that explore uh, domestic abuse. There are games that ex- explore like the, you know, trans or queer experience in really interesting ways. Um, I think that's part of the power of VR that we didn't really touch upon is like this ability to, for this sort of experience to put you in somebody else's shoes who's maybe a marginalized person mm-hmm. um and that's pretty powerful in a way that no other thing can can sort of convey that experience right um and so i see a real set a real i have a real sense of like this tech can be used for good i think matt the future that you're describing is um a little to me it's a little bit inevitable but also very terrifying right yes. like there's and maybe that's the generational difference that is gonna like you said is gonna be our thing between us and our kids or our grandchildren um but it is a little frightening to me as somebody who likes to go outside and get fresh air that like maybe that sort of thing will just go away at some point in our lives let's let's be clear the internet and smartphones are good right we can all agree with that statement generally like they they make things good and better well i i (laughs) i mean i think net positive like certainly 
that's i guess of, that's my point is like yeah, I, yeah. what i'm getting at and what, what evan is sighing about is like we have learned in recent uh years and months that like there's some bad side effects of this technology that gener that that normally empowers people and that we were so optimistic about um some very dire consequences so like you can't we are obviously saying if everyone straps on a vr headset and lives in a virtual world there's a lot of cool stuff that will happen but also we got to be really careful about that yeah yeah yes right (laughs) totally and it just it worries me that like like i don't necessarily want the sort of power brokers in today's internet to be the people who are uh regulating and developing norms for for sort of that world right like I don't want to live in the Zuckerverse necessarily based on his recent actions. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, th- so the question then becomes, you know, VR and immersive worlds are inevitable, but how can we build them as a society rather than consume them from uh, tech companies? Yeah. Uh, Wiki- and that's going to be how the, do we make the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia that- of VR is what I want here yeah. somehow. And I mean, that's so hard because like, it is one thing to build a sort of community edited website that is primarily text and a whole other thing to sort of build a, you know, the the level of expertise you need to build a digital world in VR, you know, you need, you you can't do that necessarily as a community unless you get a bunch of like, like-minded coders and whatnot together to build it and buy servers and so on and so forth right yeah though though i will say gaming gives us models for that because there are as we said a lot of games that are sort of indie and free or low cost but then there's other gaming systems and worlds where it's like hey we're just a bunch of developers we made these cool tools and now you the modders which is a gaming term for people who make modifications to games. People create entirely new games out of the um, the raw materials that an existing yeah. game already has. And like modding communities are insanely strong. And, and like we think about Wikipedia as like anyone can edit it. But like what's actually going on with Wikipedia is like a handful of really smart people are paying very close attention to make sure Wikipedia, it doesn't become a crap hole. And they are the, the true... Um, heroes of the internet and i think there are modders and developers and gaming community um people who could do that for virtual um worlds too it's already happening yeah it's an interesting i mean you could see modders as sort of the um future sort of representatives right Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting well i'll tell you if you solve online governance uh please bring it back here too okay (laughs) yeah please do yeah there's there's no reason why why whatever governance structures at least in theory no reason why the governance structures that could work in vr couldn't be ported back to the real world Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just i guess i guess maybe guns are the reason why (laughs) yeah yeah well uh i think we will leave it there all right gentlemen thank you very much enjoy Uh, the next few days in your respective simulations Oh, yes, indeed. We shall. Uh, This has been The Future Will Not Be Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, This is kind of a little weird, wild experiment that we're all uh, embarked on. So if you enjoyed it, uh, I don't know, tweet it. Oh, we should say what our Twitter handles are. Alex, I don't know if you're on Twitter. No, I, I, yeah, I do. Uh, Recently started it. 
Oh, I'm wow. at Alex James Fitz, F-I-T-Z. <laughs> uh, I'm at Evan Engel, E-N-G-E-L. And I'm at Matt underscore Silverman. I had to get the underscore in there, guys. I couldn't. I was not quick enough to be oh, underscore there's a, there's free. There's a full Matt Silverman out there? I guess. Um, oh, there can only be one. It's actually it's actually a guy who was it, trying to write Matt's liver, man. But, he, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then just typo and he just kept it. Yep. That is that is accurate. Yeah. Uh, yeah so tweet if you if you are listening to this show and you're not our moms, um, tweet at us. <laughs> or if you are our moms, uh, Alex's mom is big on Twitter, She's so awesome. she can tweet at us. She's actually awesome on Twitter. Probably, probably my favorite account on Twitter ever since. Uh, ever ever <laughs> since sure. burned your tweet, stop tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, give us a shout. Uh, we are excited to cover a lot of interesting topics and kind of dig into them, unpack them, uh, get existential with a lot of this stuff. So if you are into meta existential transhumanism, this is the podcast for you. Uh, we hope to see you and hear you next time. Yesterday.